Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Garlinski, and this is Young History, episode 60 on Jamaica. The capital of this country is Kingston, and the name of this country comes from the Taino Arawak peoples who called the land Zameka, which means Isle of the Springs. And this name was eventually adopted by the colonizers, and the country keeps its name to this day. It is the third largest Caribbean island in all of the Caribbean, uh, only behind Hispaniola, which is. Haiti and uh, the Dominican Republic and Cuba. And the colors of the flag represent difficulties in black, sunlight and yellow, and agriculture in green. And they were actually the first Caribbean nation to have a website. And one more little fun fact is that Ian Fleming, the writer of all the James Bond stories, actually wrote every single one of those thrillers while in Jamaica. Because how could you not? I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. The vibe is chill. There's weed to be smoked. I bet that's the, pace, the best place in the world to write a story. So makes a lot of sense. So I'm super excited to do this one, as you can see. It's also episode 60, which is insane. It feels weird that we're here, and that's it was about a little over a year ago this time that I started the podcast, so it's crazy to see how far things have come. So, not going to dilly-dally too much more, and just want to say thank you guys so much for being here. And one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski, this is Young History, and this is Jamaica. Let's do this thing. Our origins begin at least 3,000 years ago, when the first inhabitants came to this land. There's very little data, if any at all, about these people. It's just known from anthropological work that there were people on the island at this time. But the next people group we know a little bit more about, these were a people that were around over the next few thousand years, from around 2000 BC until around the turn of the, turn of the era from BC to CE. These were people that belonged to the redware culture, which meant they made a lot of pottery and other different sculpture-like things out of red rocks, and red was a big part of the color where they used. But the next major group that we know for sure was here was the Taino. They actually moved into the land between 600 and 800 CE from northern South America. They cultivated cassava as well as corn on the island, and they lived in a lot of wooden palm homes. And these people are pretty much left alone. They don't interact with other people groups in the area or start anything for a long time. They pretty much just on Jamaica trying to make do. Until 1495 when Christopher Columbus arrives. He spotted the island and sailed around it. He ended up calling it the fairest isle eyes had ever seen because Jamaica is gorgeous. He interacted with the Taino people who were mostly subsistence farmers at the time and he went to their different communal villages around the island. Columbus ended up leaving after he first discovered the land to go back to Spain to make reports. But on his last voyage of the Caribbean, his fourth one, he actually came back and got stuck on the northern part of the island as his ship became unsailable. The Taino were actually really gracious hosts for weeks on end, but they ended up getting tired of taking care of Columbus and got more antsy and aggressive towards him. But in order to, the Taino tried to kind of tell Columbus to leave, but Columbus ended up saying something crazy and luck, as well as the fact that there was some level of study that the Europeans could do into lunar eclipses and things like that. Columbus said, and I quote, your God will punish you with a symbol in the sky. And then a lunar eclipse occurred. So it meant that the Europeans are now kind of hailed as gods or sent by the gods of the natives in this land, the Taino. And it's a huge thing to manipulate them, kind of like all religions are. And this led to the Taino people paying them a lot of tribute over the next few years. Following this, the Spanish would actually come and make it an official colony. They would make it the colony of Santiago. And with the Spanish came a lot of forced labor and new diseases, which crushed the population. And after a long time, many of the natives had died here, which meant there was no longer a labor force. And this led to 
African slaves being brought into the country starting in 1517 to work heavy hours and harvest the cash crops being grown in this nation. Negotiations started to happen between the Spanish crown and Columbus as Columbus took claim of all the Caribbean, and this was not accepted at all by the Spanish. They actually struck a deal where the descendants of Columbus would be called the Marquis of Jamaica, and this title is actually still held by them today. If you're able to look up who the current descendant of Christopher Columbus is within the area of Jamaica, they are still considered the Marquis of Jamaica, which is a doctrine that's been around for literally hundreds of years as we see here. Following this is the first time we get to talk about a very major people group in Jamaica, that is the Maroons. They were a people that formed when enslaved Africans actually escaped their binds and fled to the mountains of the island, mostly the Blue Mountain Peak. They established their own smaller settlements and culture, and they're going to come up a lot throughout this history. So remember that they're in the mountains and that they have their own community, culture, and wants slash needs. British invasion and takeover occurred in 1655 when the British actually conquered the island underneath Spanish rule really easily because not only were the British being led by a very good strategist and sailor, William Penn, but the population of the island nation was so small, it was only a couple thousand people, that the British could pretty much come point their guns and the island was theirs. Port Royal became a beacon of pirating because the British actually allowed pirate ships and sailors to dock here if they agreed to raid the Spanish, Dutch, or French ships that were coming into the area or anywhere in the Caribbean and bring some of this wealth back as tribute to the crown. And Port Royal actually became the second biggest British city in the New World behind only Boston, which is still one of the biggest cities in the United States to this day. And it was seen as an outlaw city for a band of misfits that pretty much just filled everything. I mean, there was pirates, there was people selling tobacco under the table, people that were literally running from... British imprisonment, it was an insane city to be in. That all changed with the Treaty of Madrid, which was signed in 1670, where the Spanish agreed to fully relinquish sovereignty to the British because up to this point, since 1655, the Spanish had been fighting back and trying to undermine the British rule, but this is where it becomes fully official. And once this happens, this meant there was no longer a need for the British to support pirates for any reason, and this led to the British executing many pirates, honestly as many as they could, for the years that followed. In 1692, there was an earthquake that killed 2,000 people in Port Royal and was seen as punishment from God for the lawlessness in the land. This is not my belief. This is just what a lot of the British residents and Jamaican residents believed. And the fleeing population led to Kingston, the modern capital, being established because people were living at a different part of the island where a lot of the effects of the earthquake were felt really heavy. So they moved more towards the coast where Kingston in the modern day is, and that is the modern capital. Slavery became hugely popular again and was used even more heavily in the 1700s because the British had a desire for increasing production of indigo, cacao, and extreme pressure to put a lot of sugarcane out. There were 1.5 million people that survived the brutal trip from Africa and were brought to Jamaica as slaves, which is a very small percentage of the population because millions of people were shipped in general and lots of them died because of the horrible conditions on the slave ships on top of slavery itself being terrible. Unrest from this and a lot of general distaste for the British, led to the start of the First Maroon War, which happened from 1728 to 1740. Maroons fought hard against the British for over a decade, and with the use of guerrilla warfare, they found a lot of success. Their location in, you guessed it, the Blue Mountains, made this guerrilla warfare really possible, but they also had a smaller subgroup in the cockpit country, which is in the more western part of Jamaica, and those in the east mountain regions were called Windward Maroons, and those in the west, which was the cockpit region, were called Leeward Maroons. One of their major leaders was Queen Nani, who helped navigate the soldiers against the Brits. She knew Jamaica like the back of her hand and was able to use forest fight, like forest fighting slash guerrilla tactics to take down the British whenever fighting would occur. 
And the Maroons fought so well that they actually came to a point where the British need to come, needed to come up with an agreement to actually face what was happening with the Maroons and get them to stop fighting. So the Leeward Maroons were offered first and then followed by the Windward Maroons, a deal that would give the Maroons 1,500 acres of autonomous land that was fully theirs to rule over, govern however they saw fit, and would operate with a different set of laws and rules than Greater Jamaica. But for this, Maroons promised to help crush any rebellions against the Brits and returned any escaped slaves. Of course, there was a lot of shady dealing within the rules because the British, end of the day, are still selfish and only want to make these allies for their own benefit. So they still didn't see these Jamaican Maroons as people. They just saw them as escaped slaves. And there was still a huge lack of trust on both sides because the Maroons are not stupid by any means, and they knew that they couldn't trust the British as far as they could throw them. In the 1700s, Jamaica was the number one producer of sugar in the world, and of course this led to an even bigger desire for slavery and increased production. Just any way the British could cash in on sugar, they would do it, especially considering they had control of Jamaica, which was cranking sugar out more than anywhere else in the world, despite it being so small. Mulattoes were the people that came from slave owners having sex with enslaved women, and these people were actually called free colors and were given a lot of extra special freedom and rights, and sometimes they were even sent to Europe to be higher educated because the education system in Jamaica was not great at this time and wouldn't be for a really long time. More unrest actually led to another slave revolt called Tacky's War, which occurred in 1761. It actually pushed the bill pushed the British off balance and allowed for more people to kind of start to garner their feelings and realize that they wanted to stand up against the British, which led directly to the Second Maroon War, which lasted from 1795 to 1796. It was far less successful than the first one because it was crushed in only a year, but it still gave the British a lot to worry about because they had already struck a deal with the Maroons, and the Maroons, despite this agreement, still saw what the British were doing and weren't able to agree with it. They couldn't swallow their pride, as they shouldn't, and they couldn't give up what they believed in, which was a freer Jamaica and a Jamaica without slavery. So they went to fight for it harder, harder, and harder. So this, again, really shook the British up and led to them trying to crack down harder, and them cracking down harder led to the Jamaicans resisting even more, which led to the Baptist War, which lasted from 1831 to 1832, which was sprung after another slave revolt happened, which was led by Samuel Sharp actually lasted 11 days and between 60 and 300,000 slaves it lasted 11 days and started as 60,000 and ended up being 300,000 slaves peacefully first protesting but ended up burning down crops and really started violently protesting and rioting against the British because of the way that they were literally abusing every Jamaican they could and using them for forced labor and enslaving them but the British retaliated really harshly by killing as many slaves as they could executing many putting many people back into slavery, and then burning down the homes of people and making an example out of the men who stood up to them, taking advantage of the women, and in some case, even killing children. So, very bloody battles back and forth, lots of wars started by the Maroons, started by slave revolts. It's a huge part of this part of a Jamaican culture is to stand up to what was happening here. They were one of the only countries rebelling this much against slavery and treatment like this, even more so than the states even by this point. And it is by this point that abolitionism was really starting to take over the minds of British citizens and gaining a lot of popularity in Jamaica and in the UK. Men like William Wilberforce actually really pushed the idea of abolitionism. And by 1834, slavery was officially ended. But high taxes, low wages, and limited rights made life for Jamaicans change very little. It kind of did the same thing as sharecropping in the US, where 
yes, slavery was officially over and you couldn't be a slave legally anymore, but you were practically in the same position because people would just pay you low wages to work or so lo- or put taxes on you that you had to work extremely hard and continue to do backbreaking slave-like work in order to get by. So things changed legally, but didn't change that much on a social scale for these people. And this again led to uprisings about living conditions and injustice within the island. And because of the fact that the British saw once again there was more uprisings because Jamaicans don't give up. They actually started their indentured servitude program where in order to fill their need for forced labor, where workers from India and China would be signed a contract to work, they would either be a five-year thing where after the five years they would be freed or they would be given land, something of the sort, but it was extremely cheap and affordable labor. And it was attempted to be used here by the British for a long time. However, the system did fail and the plantation system crashed, which led to many systems being, which led to many citizens being unemployed and without any money, which led to another rebellion. This one led mostly by Paul Bugle. This was called the Morant Bay Rebellion. Bugle was a Baptist preacher and he wasn't playing games. He wanted this to be an aggressive rebellion and really show that the people weren't standing up for anymore. So right away, the rebels killed the chief magistrate from Europe and 18 other Europeans. And the energy from this revolt was huge. It really shook the British up, but it didn't have a huge effect on what actually changed because the governor, Edward John Eyre, ended up crushing the rebellion in a really brutal fashion. He killed as many people as he could, including Paul Bugle, who he made a public example out of by executing. But Britain didn't like the way Eyre handled the situation, so he was stripped of his post, and Jamaica was made into a crown colony with a new governor. Right after this... Bananas blew up as a major export, and Jamaica became one of the prime producers of bananas in the world. The British ended up getting really rich off banana production and continued to use Jamaica as a cash crop export nation. Marcus Garvey was a Jamaican activist that argued for all of Africa. He used his proposals to rally crowds, and his teachings were adopted by the youth in Jamaica and by many people leading the civil rights movement in the United States in the future. He promoted African nationalism and established the first political party in Jamaica, as well as the Universal Negro Improvement Association. And and following this, there came another belief that really hit this country, that really hit Jamaica hard. That would be Rastafarianism, which was one that praised Haile Selassie of Ethiopia, kind of as a prophet for the fact that he kept Ethiopia independent. And it's kind of a mix of... Christian Bible and this belief around Ethiopia and Haile Selassie that leads these people's religion. And Rastafarians today are most populous in Jamaica, makes up about 5% of the population. Despite that still being small, it's still a lot more than anywhere else. And they deeply believe that it was a biblical prophecy for Africa to be free and to be an Eden of freedom and hope. And a big reason this movement got popular and widely accepted was because of Bob Marley and his music. In 1938, there were more labor riots where 20,000 people took to the streets calling for better working wages and rights, and they actually held Kingston captive and kept it completely still and held it at a standstill for weeks. And because of this, a trade union was formed after the riots, and after they were formed, they actually connected themselves with political parties so that the needs of this union could actually be weaponized and pushed forward into the government. And following this, more unrest led to the British granting universal suffrage in 1944, and then the equivalent of domestic autonomy in 1947, where now Jamaica pretty much controlled all its own affairs despite the British coming in and taxing a few things, and British just handled their foreign affairs in defense. So as this all really started to culminate, more and more people are fighting, going back and forth, realizing they do not want to be under the British, and the British getting to the stage both of, one, not wanting to deal with 
the constant uprisings that were happening here, but also getting to a point where decolonization was becoming more and more popular. Independence ends up coming in August 6th of 1962. It was a whole event as the Union Jack was lowered from the Capitol and the Jamaican flag we know today was raised. It was in the middle of the night. It was a huge celebration. And despite independence coming, Jamaica still stayed within the Commonwealth to keep ties with Britain good. So technically, up until she croaked, Elizabeth was the uh, head of state for Jamaica, but once again, not really considered like considered important because she doesn't do anything for the country. She just does what she's always done, which is be old and sit around and be a monarch. Two major political parties were formed, the People's National Party and the Jamaican Labor Party. I'll refer to them as PLP and Jamaica. And JLP. And since independence, one of these two political parties has produced every single prime minister that has ruled the country since. Norman Bailey and Alexander Budamante are two major political figures that go back and forth, and it's a lot of their descendants or people they train that end up holding power in Jamaica for a long time. Norman Manley represented the People's National Party, and Alexander Budamante represented the Jamaican Labor Party, respectively. And they had massive influence on politics in this country they battled for the premier spot back and forth and they saw a country they saw the country take a turn towards a democratic socialism no they didn't and other changes to the country that went back and forth sometimes they leaned communist sometimes they leaned more capitalist lots of back and forth happened because of the teachings and these two specifically and one of the things that happened was the was the plp got a lot of power in the 1970s and ended up getting really close to the cuban government and because of this the fact that the Red Scare is happening, USSR, all of those things. The CIA actually started to intervene and kind of get in the way of Jamaica and say, listen, if you're going to keep this tie with Cuba, we're going to cut things with you. So the 1980 election saw many protests occur, lots of back and forth. People didn't want to be an enemy of the U.S., but then some people also didn't want to cut ties with Cuba, so there was a lot of fighting and a lot of people did die. And in the 1980 election, the Jamaican Labor Party won. They cut ties with Cuba, with Cuba brought back old businesses and got extremely close with the U.S. Ronald Reagan administration. And things would stay at a stable rate for a while. Lots of changes came to the country. There was always kind of a move towards better rights as throughout the later 1900s, post-independence, no matter who was in power, there was always a push for better infrastructure, better rights for women, more voting, things like this, all pushing in the right direction for Jamaica. Yes, there was ups and downs and lots of protests and sometimes insurrections and things that were uncontrollable and killed a lot of people, but overall Jamaica kept trying to push in the right direction no matter who was in power. In 1992, Percival James Patterson became the first black prime minister, and he used budget cuts and tax shifts to fix the growing budget deficit, and he worked to create a lot of housing solutions and better infrastructure. He had a good presidential run, but by the end people wanted change because gang violence started to take over certain areas of the gang violence started to take over certain areas of the country, and economic changes that were done via international <coughs> via international dealings saw prices for something skyrocket and this led to a lot of people being really upset and the country kind of moved to a place where it was struggling this led to portia simpson miller being elected she became the first female prime minister of the country and the first female leader of the people's national party under her rule in the 2000s the country joined caricom which is a huge kind of economic free market and trade ally relation organization among Caribbean countries, and um, Jamaica was one of the major members that helped push it towards existing. And after this happened, there was a huge focus from the country put on the tourism to make it a really great global destination, and it has worked out wonderfully since. Culturally, this country is viewed as a hotspot because it brought Rastafarian, 
the religion, rocksteady, and reggae to the world. It also brought dancehall and sky music. A lot of these became very popular because of Bob Marley, because he was a Rastafarian who made reggae music, and it was played globally. He had world tours, and it really showed the world what Jamaica was producing, what Jamaica was all about. And then in the sports side, Jamaica tra- Jamaican track and field is the best in the world. It's a cornerstone of the culture because the best runners alive over the past decade and a half at least have been Jamaican, including the fastest man alive, Usain Bolt. Despite him retiring, he is still considered the greatest 100-meter track runner of all time, as well as the 200-meter, and he's the first person to win gold in the 100-meter and 200-meter back-to-back-to-back. That's over a 12-year period at the Olympics. That's absolutely insane, and he's the guy to do it, and he is very much Jamaican. And, of course, you have to talk about it. Marijuana, also called ganja, is a huge part of the culture here. Many famous Jamaicans smoked it constantly and it's promoted widely as a commodity of the people. It was introduced to the island by Indian indentured servants in the 1800s and the word ganja actually comes from Hindi. Rastafarians use it for religious purposes and as of 2015, legality around the drug is much better. You're allowed to own up to five plants and if you're a business or have legal reasons to have more, you are able to get more through contracts, and if you are carrying 56 grams of weed, it is fully legal. So this is one of the countries really pushing forward the idea that it's accepted, and it's already been so accepted in the culture, they were just waiting for it to be illegal, it didn't really change anything. So all that pretty much gets us to the present, where it is seen as a highly developed country in the Human Development Index, and is widely seen as a great tourist destination and cultural hotspot. It does have rough areas like any other country in the world, but it has a special charm. The culture here is unique. The people here are special. Their language is unique. Their accents are one of a kind. Everything about these people, their food, their music, has global influence and draws attention from the entire world. And despite things being good, it does still have one of the highest homicide rates in the entire world in those bad parts of cities and kind of in the in-between city areas if you're traveling from Kingston to one of the other major cities. And... Poverty rate was already high, but COVID made things a lot worse because it really crashed the tourism industry for about two years. But things are starting to peel back to being good. And Jamaica is looking forward, as it always has. It is going to look to fight and make things good and better for themselves. And that's all you can ask for. So that pretty much gets us to the end, where I always kind of like to leave it with a lesson or mindset you could take away from the cultural people and history of this country. And with Jamaica, that is relentlessly, relentlessly pursue what you think is best. 100%. Jamaica embodies this from the Maroons to all the slave revolts to Paul Bogle to the Morant Bay Rebellion to Marcus Garvey to everyone in this country. They have always fought for what they thought was best. And usually that was the end of slavery, the end of abuse, the end of poverty, all these things. There was war after war fought. They stood up against the British time and time again. No matter how many times a rebellion was crushed, no matter how many people were killed, Jamaicans have always stood up for what they believed and always pushed it forward. You need to do the same. Whatever your greatest ambition in life is, great relationship, wife, kids, husband, kids, dreams, huge, small, acting, sports, whatever it is, you're going to face so much resistance, even from the people you love, and that's the hardest one to deal with. People are going to stand in your way. People are either going to stand in your way in the way that they tell you you shouldn't do it, or they're literally going to be on the opposite side of you and be the person actively trying to get their dream to come true in the face of yours. Don't let it happen. Be relentless. Be like these people who fought for centuries to get not only their freedom from slavery, but and then their independence, and then get to the place where their culture was spread. They fought for every single aspect of their society. Every single aspect of their culture and who we know Jamaica as today was fought for for centuries and centuries. You just have to fight against 
yourself. You have to fight against laziness. You have to fight against people that will stand in your way. You have one lifetime, one lifetime where you need to push really hard to get the things you want. And when you get the things you want, you're going to have to roll that forward and keep that momentum going. Life is going to be up and down. You're going to face resistance. But these people are just like you if you let yourself be that way. Be relentless, stand up for what you believe in, and do not give up the fight for whatever it is you desire until the very end. So that's my lesson. That's my takeaway. And that was my little history lesson. So just want to tell you, all of you, thank you so much for being here. I don't know how many of you have been here for a lot of these 60 episodes. It's a big milestone to me. It's not probably the hugest for anyone else, but for me, it matters. And this was a great country to hit 60 on. So honestly, this was one of my favorite yet. And <laughs> sorry, I'm out of breath because that was fun. But either way, you guys are the best. I hope you really enjoyed. And even if you didn't like find anything that interesting, I hope you at least learned something new. So thank you all for being here. I hope you come back for more episodes and I hope you all are very, very good. So have a great day. And one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History and that was Jamaica. Y'all have a good one.